Know that this portion of God's church believes strongly in the Bible. Its purpose, we appreciate that it's come down through all these years and we're blessed with being able to read scripture and share with one another, learn from it, be guided by it. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Your commands are ever with me. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, the ancient ones, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are the words of to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. May God bless the reading of his word. A brand new series titled Better and like the video so comically portrayed you know, sometimes we do the same old things the same old way, expecting new results, and it doesn't happen, and we're shocked, you know, and uh, sometimes normal just isn't working. And so this, um, over the next four weeks of this series, or the four weeks that we do this series, we may take a break kind of in the middle and then pick it back up again, but we're going to talk about getting better, specifically spiritually, by using some practices, some disciplines that are spiritual disciplines by which we can get better spiritually. And we'll, we're going to look at several, and they all kind of have a, a common theme, and that common theme is that they're kind of, they're kind of internal things, private things, things we do on the inside. All right? And so we're going we're gonna to look at, at some of those this uh, we're starting with the first one this week but you know this is that time of year when it's January right and, and so everyone makes their New Year's resolutions and everyone's committed to getting better and okay who are we kidding <laughs> you know by this point you've either broken your New Year's resolution or you're so tired of breaking them every year you didn't even bother to make one this year right and so, <laughs> who are we kidding? But, and yet, still, it's a, it's a good time of year, the beginning of a year, to talk about, you know, is what you're doing spiritually working for you? Are you becoming more like Christ at a rate that you're satisfied with? Or are you, do you feel like you're stuck in a rut? You know, that, man, you, you're, you feel like you're about like you were last year this time and, and not a whole lot of spiritual growth has taken place 
this message is definitely for you if, if you're there. You know, this series is definitely for you. But if, if you're in a season of life where, great, you know, I mean, things are going awesome and your faith is growing and, all right, good, this, this is also for you. You can definitely still use this and you can hang on to these, even if it's something you don't feel like you need to apply right now. Listen and hang on to these because it'll come. <laughs> Those days where you get in a rut spiritually, they come. We have seasons in our spiritual life just like in life, the rest of life. So hang on to this. And if you find yourself here today and you're not even sure what you think about Jesus and this whole faith thing to start with, well, this is also for you because none of these things are are things that you have to even really be a Christian to practice. You can practice these things and I believe it will make your life better even so. But I also think that it might help you find some answers that you're looking for if you put these into practice. And so I invite you all in on this series. I think it's going to be powerful. I think it's going to be good for us. But it's going to take some commitment. And it's going to take some stepping out of your comfort zone. And if it didn't, it wouldn't accomplish any good. Alright? So just buckle in. And I'm going to ask you to do some things that maybe you're not comfortable with in the weeks to come. Starting definitely today. Because by a show of hands, how many of you would say that on a regular basis you practice meditation? (laughs) All right, even if you did, you might not admit to it. But anyone practice, you know, maybe maybe you do yoga or something like that, and you you meditate. Anyone? All right. Most churches would get the same response. Most churches would say, "No, meditation is not really on my radar." That's Something I'm more likely to make fun of than to practice, okay? And so, but we're going to talk, that's the subject of today's message, because that has not always been the case. And it's really, it's a crying shame that it is. But before we dive into meditation, I want us to sing a song. Alright, it's a song that many of you know from your childhood, or you taught it to kids, or both. And so if you know it, sing along with me, don't... Don't leave me hanging out here, okay? So here we go. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rain came tumbling down. Right? Here we go. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rain came tumbling down. Here we go again. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. <laughs> All right. Hey, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, that song that a lot of us grew up with, it, it's based on Luke chapter 6, where it's a teaching of Jesus. And he talks about a wise man and a foolish man. They each build their house and on different foundations. 
And when we sing that song, we, or we hear that passage of Scripture, I think most of us, if you're like me, and maybe I'm the only crazy one here, but I think most of us think, here's the lesson. This is what we believe the lesson is, that if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you are building your house on a firm foundation. And if you don't put your hope in Jesus Christ, then you are building it on a shifting sand. But that's not exactly what Jesus said. Did you know that? If you go and you look at that Luke chapter 6, I think it starts around verse 46 or so. He's talking about two people. Both of them call him Lord. But one of them does what he says, and the other one does not. They both call him Lord. They both listen to what Jesus has to say. But the wise man puts those words into practice, and the foolish man does not. So in a room full of Christians, we might surmise that we have some wise builders and some foolish builders amongst us. And we have some of us who we strive to put God's words into practice, and some of us who we identify with Christ. We call ourselves a Christian, and yet when it comes right down to it, we're not doing much of what Jesus said. And Jesus says, one is wise, you're building on a firm foundation, the other is foolish. You're building on shifting sand. How do we know whether we're being wise or not? How do we know what we're building on? Well, it has to do with what you do, with what you hear. Because we live in a society, especially here in America, I don't know how it is in other places where there's you know, persecution if you claim Jesus, the, the rate of this may fall. But there are many in America who identify with Jesus, but they're not necessarily following Jesus. And unfortunately, this does a grave discredit to Jesus and to the movement of his people and to the kingdom work. Because there's a lot of people in our nation who look and they see Christian as a box that you check on a survey. As something that you say, well, yeah, well, my grandpappy was Presbyterian, my family's Christian. They see it as, as a voting block. That here we are at election time and we've got we to gotta cater to the evangelical voting block, right? Or to the Catholic voting block or what have you. And Christian is something that you, you know, I identify with Christ... But it doesn't have a whole lot to do with my life. And Jesus would say, in that case, you're a foolish builder. You might call me Lord. You might listen to what I have to say. But you are building your house on shifting sand. What we're going to talk about in this series is how to get better by using spiritual disciplines. And the whole point of spiritual disciplines is to discipline yourself to put into practice the things that Jesus said to do. These things we're going to talk about are not necessarily in and of themselves the commands of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus. These are the things by which we internalize and then in turn live out the teachings of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't even use the word Christian. Christians weren't even called Christians until after Jesus had died, risen again, and ascended into heaven. And other people started calling them Christians. 
because they were trying to imitate Christ. Mostly, Jesus' followers were called followers, disciples, people who were, again, imitating him, trying to live his way, trying to do things, trying to learn from him, and trying to form their lives in accordance with that. The word discipline and the word disciple come from the same thing, don't they? they come, they're cut from the same cloth. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, if we want to be wise builders, then we're going to need to discipline ourselves. We're going to need to practice and put certain things into practice that are going to help us become more like Christ. Otherwise, we're just listening and we're identifying, but we're not actually following. We're not actually doing So that's why this matters. That's why we're going to talk about it. And that's and number one, the first discipline, the first spiritual discipline we're going to talk about, a, a way that absolutely you can get better as a Christian is meditation. Now perhaps you noticed, well you definitely noticed when we turned to Psalm 119, that it was not your typical passage of Scripture. I mean usually you turn... You know, to a, to a passage, and and first of all, usually you're not told to turn to verse 97. <laughs> all right, that doesn't happen every day because most chapters don't have 97 verses. Our our Bible, each book in the Bible, is broken down into chapters and verses for our sake and for reference sake. Um, not necessarily written that way. A lot of them were like letters and. And accounts of things that just, I mean, they stood by themselves. But to make the Bible more accessible, to make it easier to find, it's been broken into chapters and verses. The Psalms were broken into categories by, uh, by song. Because each one was a song that stood alone. A poem, a song. Kind of like our hymnals. This was the hymnal of the Jewish people. And Psalm 119 boasts 176 verses. That is more, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. In fact, it's 176 verses are more than nearly half the books of the Bible can boast. So this is a long, I mean, if you're going chapter by chapter, you get to this one, it's a depressing day. <laughs> all right? Because you've been used to these, you know, short, some of the Psalms are real short, and then all of a sudden you get to this one, and you're flipping pages, and you're like, where does this start? And so you, you return in your Bible on this one, and you don't see chapter numbers anywhere else, do you? Instead, you see these strange characters. looks almost Muslim or something, doesn't it? Because it's the Jewish language, the Hebrew language is from the Middle East. It's written in similar characters. And, and the one that we looked at today is called Mim. And the interesting thing about this is there's 22 stanzas in, in this chapter, in this song. Because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each one of those stanzas has eight verses. And each of those eight verses begins with the, according, the, the letter of that stanza. And so we read from Mim. And every verse started with the same letter. Now it doesn't in English. And, and so we kind of miss out on some of the coolness. you know. But if you spoke Hebrew, you could get yourself a Hebrew copy. And each verse would begin with the letter Mem in this particular section. Now the whole book kind of carries a common theme of, 
a love for God's word. And this word meditation crops up several times, but it crops up twice in this one. But this love for God's word, we, we see it especially in this passage, you know. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And it just talks over and over again about I love your law. I love your ways. I love your word. Thank you, God, for giving it to us. And as we look through this, this particular section of this very long song, this acrostic, there's two things that we're taught, at least two things, about meditation. Two truths we can glean. The first is, from this verse, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day and long. And we see that meditation is motivated by love. He loved God's law so much, His word so much, that He meditated on it all day long. This was the thing that He loved the most. Because He loved God's word, because He loved God's ways, they were the focus of His thoughts. And so He meditated not out of a sense of duty or a sense of have to, but out of a sense, out of His, out of a Motive of love. Another thing that we learn about it comes from the other verse in this little eight verse stanza that says, I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statute. And so we see the benefit of meditating is that we gain insight and understanding. Now, at first glance, that sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? A little bit cocky. <laughs> I know more than all of my teachers because I meditate. You know? <laughs> but just, just to give maybe a little bit of, of context, just, a, just some thoughts on this verse. is you know, First of all, I, I, feel like, I feel like this whole Psalm 119, and this is just my personal opinion, was an educational tool. We don't have that I've found any hard historical evidence for that, that this was used in the Jewish classroom. But we do know that they took education seriously, that they started young boys at an early age learning under a rabbi who would instill in them a love for God's word and a basic knowledge of it, a fundamental knowledge of it. When I say basic knowledge, I don't mean they memorized the books of the Old Testament. I mean it was a pretty thorough knowledge that every Jewish boy was expected to have. And when I see something, you know, as, as someone who has an educational background, and we have a lot of educators in the room that, can, that could weigh in with their opinions, but when I see something like this, that's arranged by alphabet, where each verse starts with a certain letter of the alphabet, and it proceeds through the whole alphabet, and it's themed throughout with this theme of a love of God's word, a love of God's word, and it, and it talks often to young people, like it says in verse 9 of 119, you know, how can a young man keep his way pure? You know, by living according to your word. And so when I, when I see things like that, and then I come across a verse like this, I think, this is the teacher, that, that it's put this, he's put this together, uh, you know, either he's written this, maybe a teacher wrote this, or maybe a teacher compiled this, 
And, and he's saying, you know, this is a little bit of, of bait to throw out there for his student. of, Hey, you want to know more than me? You want to know more than your teacher? Meditate on God's word. Meditate all the time. They wanted, I mean, you know, this verse, I've heard, I've heard that Jewish teachers would sometimes, they'd spread honey on the tablet of God's word. How sweet are your words to my taste. And the kids got to eat the honey off, right? And it's a, an association that God's word is sweet. God's word is good. God's word is, is something to take joy in and pleasure in. Not a, uh, trudge through God's word. It's so heavy. It's so burdensome. Oh, why do I have to do all this? They wanted their kids to love God's word. And so we see at least these two things about meditation. It's something motivated by love for God's word and it gives insight and understanding. And in fact, Meditation was not just something that the Jewish people practiced, but something that Christians practiced for a very long time. Somewhere along the lines, we stopped. At least many of us did here in the Western world. And so now, if you want to learn about Christian meditation, if you really want to study it in depth, you have to go back like a thousand years and and find ancient texts from ancient Christians who practiced meditation. Because somehow or another, we let the Zen Buddhists take it over, and the transcendental meditation people take it over, and the New Agers take it over. And now we laugh at it, right? And we, we have this picture of Kung Fu Panda, you know, sitting cross legged, go, mmm, you know, and, and that's what we think of with meditation. And we think, that ain't me, you know. Uh, or maybe you even are a little bit familiar with the concepts of, of Zen meditation or Buddhism. And the goal, right, of meditation is just to empty your mind. Empty your mind to enter a state of nothingness. And if you arrive at a state where you are nothing, then you've reached nirvana, or you've reached the ultimate goal. And that's what the the Buddha did, right? uh, Ron Kuti was talking about this on on the Wednesday night class just the other day, about the different religions, and, and he was sharing how, you know, in Buddhism... That's the goal, is to become nothingness. And that's what they believe the Buddha did, is he was reincarnated and got better and better until finally he was reincarnated into nothingness, I guess. you know, And he just... And that's the ultimate goal. Is, and so when people meditate, right, that's their goal. They, they do yoga or whatever it is, and, they get their, and their, the goal is to empty, clear their mind of anything. But Christian meditation, that's a part of it. That isn't the end goal, though. We empty our mind for the sole purpose of filling it completely with the things of God. So that there is nothing else there to distract us. And we can put our whole focus and our whole spirit right there with God and His truth and His words. And we internalize things in a deeper way so that we can live them out better. And this is... You know, I'm, I encourage you to fill out your card today, even if you don't normally, so that you can remember uh, later what we talked about as we, because there's a commitment that goes along with each week of this. I'm going to ask you to commit to actually putting into practice 
the, the disciplines that we're talking about. And to do that, it's going to be helpful to have these steps written down. But the first thing is just the truth that practicing meditation brings the truth of God to life on the inside so that you can better live it out on the outside. All right? It brings the truth to life on the inside so you can live it on the outside. This is very much doing what Jesus said we need to do. Not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And that's what this is about. We not only hear the word, but we meditate on it so that it gets internalized, so that we, it consumes our thoughts. And then when that happens and we've internalized it, we've really understood it, we've really dwelt on it, we've thought about it, it's a lot easier to live it out when it's become a part of you. So we're going to talk just some practical tips and tricks because, and, and this is going to be very brief. I mean, the good news is meditation is open to a lot of creativity and each person can do it differently and it's, you know, not that hard in one sense. It's, it's a pretty simple concept. Uh, and, but we are at kind of a disadvantage because most of us, we're not used to doing this sort of thing at all. And so I'm just going to give you three steps. Three steps to meditate, and, uh, and we're going to go through a couple of examples. You already got one earlier. You got to practice already today. We're going to practice some more before we go here. Uh, but let's just talk about, you know, how can we do this? If, if this is something that if we love God's Word, we'd be motivated to do. If this is something where we can gain insight and understanding even better than our teachers, then let's do it, right? If this is something that can help us be better in our spiritual life and our faith and our walk with God, then let's try it. And uh, so the first step to meditating is place and posture. Place and posture. Alright? And so, you know, when you're meditating, you want to find a place that's suitable to meditate in. You know, probably not, you know, if we had subways in New York City, right? <laughs> that wouldn't be the spot you'd pick, right? Um, you don't, don't sit out in the middle of Thomas Road and then try to meditate. You know, find somewhere quiet. Find somewhere where you can be alone. Where you can have some quiet time. And the other thing is posture matters. And, and so you want to be comfortable, but not too comfortable. <laughs> All right? If you get too comfortable, then we know where meditation is going to go real fast, right? <laughs> so not too comfortable, but good blood flow. Um, we'll practice that in a minute. Step two is to empty your mind. To get rid of the, the busy thoughts, the distractions that are in your mind. We so often, I mean, even in our prayer life, right, we're constantly fighting distractions in our prayer life because, uh, partly because we don't take the time to just try and clear our mind out first. And that's definitely necessary. It's a part of meditation, is empty, you know, the, especially the things that are not of God, the bad attitudes and the stress and the worry and all the things that we've got going on internally that that aren't godly things. We need to clear those out to make room to fill things up. And the third step is to fill your mind. To fill your mind with the things of God. So let's practice a little bit. And 
you know, this will probably feel a little strange. Like I say, it's not, it's not something that we're used to. It, uh, if you're too cool to practice with us today, just pretend, all right? Just pretend. Humor the rest of us. But I want you to try and, and drop your preconceived notions of meditation. Because this is, this is really not funny, you know? It's really not. It's, it's a powerful practice. And it's a spiritual practice for people who are serious about getting better spiritually. We might say that meditation is really a way of, of uniting and quieting the body and the mind so that the spirit can be engaged. This is a spiritual practice. And it has a powerful way of helping us internalize the truths of God. All right, here we go. I got to get a drink of water. I'm not going to be able to meditate at all. My throat's all dried out. Get you a drink of water if you need one, if you've got one. Now, this isn't the most solitary place, is it? <laughs> There's not much we can do about that right now. But it is quieter than most places in this world. And um, we can do something about posture. Let's sit up straight. Let's put your feet flat on the floor. I can't. I'm up here on a stool. I'll do the best I can. And no crossing legs because that cuts off blood flow and might explain why you've been falling asleep in my messages. Just think about that. Maybe you need to start sitting with your feet flat on the floor. All right, so that allows blood flow. You don't have to use this posture every time. Um, and there's, there's nothing wrong with looking at some of the, if you're into that sort of thing or you think you'd like it, you know, you're welcome to look at the yoga stuff. You know, of course, to me, it would be more distracting than anything else. You know, they've got the pelican and the herring and all that. You know, and I'd be, I'd be, be falling over. But I think it really helps, you know, with that whole uniting and quieting the body and mind. If you're uh, flexible at all, you might like to do something like that. But uh, I'm not. The, second, the first exercise I want us to try is, is really to um, drive home the point of the step two and step three, the empty your mind and fill your mind. And we're just going to call this uh, palms down and palms up. All right? So place your palms just down on your lap and uh, close your eyes. And we're going to take just some kind of some deep, slow breaths. And this palms down is just a, a simple gesture to indicate your desire to turn over, to let go of concerns or anything else that needs to be turned over to God as we empty our minds. And so we're going to take some slow breaths. And as you exhale, you might just internally pray something like, God, I give you my anger towards, or resentment towards Jim, or I surrender my anxiety about my bills. Or my fear of my doctor's appointment that I have coming up. Whatever it is that's weighing on your mind, just empty it out. Now, for the sake of time today, I'm not going to give you near enough time to really practice all this stuff, but let's turn our palms up now. 
Okay? Now this is just another symbolic gesture of receiving something from God. We, we gave something away. Now we've turned our palms up to say we want to receive something. And still breathing slowly. But now as you inhale, pray Lord, I'd, things like, Lord, I'd like to receive your divine love for Jim. Or I need your peace about the bills or the doctor's appointment. I need your joy. I need your presence in my life. And after you've done that, it's okay to just sit in silence for a little bit. Or you might move on to something else, and we're going to move on to something else. All right? You can open your eyes for a second. Shake around a little bit if you need to get the blood flowing again. The second exercise we'll try together um, deals with really engaging Scripture with the imagination. And the imagination is one of those things that a lot of us, in our day and time, our culture, we, we uh, kind of got rid of our imagination after we grew up, right? And we watch kids that, I mean, their imaginations just run wild. And we think, uh, you know, we hesitate. I've, Hadley sometimes, you know, she'll be just imagining away and pretending and playing. And sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, you're not too mature to get down and pretend with her. You know? But it's like hard work for me sometimes to really just let go and pretend and, and play. And it is. It's hard for us. And, and another reason it's hard for us is a lot of us have given up books for movies. And we let Hollywood do our imagining for us instead of reading. And, and that engages the mind to imagine and picture. But imagination is a powerful tool. And especially when we're trying to internalize Scripture and the things of God to use your imagination like, I mean... Uh, Mike had us do earlier, you know, where we were imagining and picturing things happening. It, to do that engages the mind and really helps us internalize truths of God. And so we're going to do just one more exercise today. I'm going to give you two options, all right? Two options because not everyone's the same. So, and this gives you some, maybe some guidance and direction from, as you go from here. And, or, you know, you can play with this a little bit. But option one... You can take the phrase from Isaiah 6, verse 3, that says, The whole earth is filled with His glory. And then, when we get ready here in just a moment to do this, you can, you can in your mind, in your imagination, go somewhere just beautiful. Somewhere you're familiar with. Somewhere that you believe characterizes that verse. That the whole earth is full of the glory of God. And go, just go there. And we're going to just imagine just being there. And worshiping God. For his glory that he filled the whole earth with when he created it. Maybe it's in the mountains or an ocean shore or in the woods or you've got your place. All right. Option two is you can recall the story of Jesus calming the storm while in the boat with the disciples. And let your imagination, if you choose option two, let, let your mind place you in the boat with Jesus. Don't just be an outside onlooker. Get in the boat with them. And just let the scene unfold before you. Uh, Pick one of those two options. And then give your imagination some freedom to work. Let's make sure we've got good posture. 
You can just set your hands in your lap if you want. And close your eyes. Take a deep breath or two. Now, whichever option you took, picture the scene. What does it look like? But don't let it remain a still picture. Things are in motion. You're there in this moment. So don't just, don't just picture it. What does the air feel like on your skin? Is it cold? Is it hot? Is it wet? Is there a fragrance in the air? Is there a scent? Is there something that you smell? Is there salt in the ocean air? Or is there pine? Is there a taste on your lips? Don't forget about the sounds. What are the sounds around you? Whichever option you, you chose, just let the whole unseen, the whole scene just unfold and come alive in your mind. If you're in that boat, carry it all the way through to where Jesus climbs up in the front of that boat and tells the wind and the waves to be still. How was it? Now, of course, this is just, these are just examples. Be creative. Choose something that works for you. Figure it out. As long as you follow these three steps, you'll be on the right track, especially as long as you're emptying it of things that are not of God and filling it with the things of God. If you're filling it with God's Word, filling it even just thinking about God's creation, things of God... Just let God's Word come alive in you. Internalize it so that you can better live it out. Right? That's what practicing meditation brings the truth to life on the inside so that you can better live it out. I want to leave you with a quote. I actually shared this quote um, with you couple summers ago when we did a series on resting titled Breathe and you can go and you can still listen to that online but this quote I just keep coming back to but it says it's by Richard Foster and he wrote a book about spiritual disciplines and he says in contemporary society our adversary majors in three things noise hurry and crowds and if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness he will rest satisfied I'm going to ask you today, on the back of your card, to commit to trying meditation. 
You can choose a commitment level. But commit to just trying this. Because we often just stay so busy and so bombarded by distractions and things going on that we have very little time to let the truth of God soak in. I mean, just, this, just the sermons that we have on Sunday, right? You, you hear God's Word, and then just a few moments later, we're busy, and we're talking, and we're chatting, and we're going, and where are we going to eat lunch, and what are we going to, you know, when's the football game today? And all of a sudden, everything crowds us in. And when, when did we have time just to be still and alone and quiet and let it soak in? So just commit to making this a practice today or every day this week or even throughout this series. And I pray, my hope is, that as you try it, you'll say, heck, I kind of like this. <laughs> and then you might stick with it because as with so many of these things, when you read anybody that's done this and, and found great benefit in it, they'll tell you that the longer and the more disciplined you stay with it, the greater the rewards. That the greatest rewards come from sticking with it. And we know this from every other part of our life, right? Father, thank you so much for your word. It gives life. Thank you for revealing yourself to us so we might really know through Jesus, our creator, and we admit, God, our tendency to get in a rut sometimes and to let the things of this world crowd you out of our hearts and out of our minds. So Holy Spirit, help us to learn the discipline of being still, of taking your truth in so we can better live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.